But church, as we consider the one who is worthy of our praise and who is worthy of all honor and glory, let's open up his word. We want to hear from the Lord and the one whom we just praised and the one whom John saw in Revelation is the one that we are gathered in the name of this morning to honor, to praise, to glorify, to hear from, and to obey. And so let's hear from him. We're in Exodus chapter 33 today as we continue our track through this portion of the word. But after months of preparation and anticipation, 12 days before scheduled departure, I got the call. I'm so sorry. Your team's not going to be able to go. The trip's been canceled. See, eight of us were scheduled to go to Ecuador in March of last year with Compassion International, but COVID-19 suddenly halted our trip before we ever got off the ground. Reservations were canceled. Airline credits were issued because sickness was sweeping across the globe. Well, church, where we enter God's story this morning, God announces that he's canceled his trip because a sickness has swept through the camp, through the camp of his people. You see, whereas COVID often affects the respiratory system, Israel's sickness was a condition of the heart. Sinful hearts practicing idolatry during the perceived absence of their God. You may recall the story while God meets with Moses up on top of Mount Sinai, giving instructions to Moses for welcoming God's presence. God is going to come down welcoming God's presence as a permanent resident of their camp. God's rescued people instead welcome a golden calf into camp as the object of their worship. Though God still loves his people. Continues to love his people. His righteousness, his perfect righteousness is kindled. And before this relationship can continue, the sinful cheating hearts of his people must be addressed. See, the Israelites are still booked for the promised land. But because of their idolatry, God says, I will not be going with you. This is what the Lord says. This is devastating news. But it's from the Lord. And so this morning we want to hear it straight from him. Let's hear it from him. Exodus chapter 33. Find your place there in the Bible. Let me invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Exodus 33 verses 1 through 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt. And go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. God says, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments 
at Mount Horeb. Verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Would you pause with me for prayer? Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for being a God who speaks. Lord, you are worthy and you have spoken. So Lord, help us to know you through your word so that we might praise you and live for you accordingly. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. We're here as we enter this story. We're reading about the devastating consequences of sin. You see, what we read right here between God and Israel is a broken relationship. We're reading about a broken relationship. Friends, sin destroys relationships. And you know this. We, we know this based on our own experiences. We know that dishonest marriages don't work. We know that perpetually disobedient children destroy families. We know that insubordinate employees can't be trusted, right? We, we know this based on our own human interactions and experiences. We know that sin destroys relationships and every sin, every single sin, is ultimately a sin against who? It's a sin against God. Meaning the sin destroys our relationship with God. You see, the story of the Bible is the saga of God restoring a relationship between broken sinners and Himself. God made us to be in relationship with Him. He made us to, to, to know Him, to be in relationship with Him. He made us to know Him personally, intimately, completely, to find joy, delight, and satisfaction through a relationship with the very One who made us. As Baptists, we don't talk a whole lot about catechisms, but catechesis is the process of, of teaching, teaching others the truths of the faith. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, a famous catechism, the first question and answer begins this way. What is the chief end of man? What is the ultimate goal or purpose of mankind? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Church, to enjoy God speaks of relationship. It'd be hard to enjoy God if you don't have a relationship with Him, if you don't know Him. God made us to be in relationship with Him, which means our greatest need is God Himself. Our greatest need is God Himself. We experience this on a very basic level all the time and every single day. For God is the one who takes care of us, right? The one who provides for all of our needs Everything that we need to survive, to thrive, to live from day to day ultimately is given by the Lord. He takes care of 
us all the time, every day. But underlying all of these tangential needs is our need to know Him. God made us to be in relationship with Him. And apart from a right relationship with God, we cannot and will not fulfill the good purposes that God has for us. Now in the Bible, we get a glimpse, we get glimpses of a right relationship with God. We get a glimpse in the very beginning of this pre-fall, unbroken and good relationship between God and people at the beginning of the Bible before, before things went awry, right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The garden where they live, where God had put them. Of course, this is after they've rebelled. This is after they've sinned. But it gives us a glimpse into what God was doing day after day. He was living among them. They could hear Him walking in the place where they dwelt. As the crown of God's creation, Adam and Eve are made in His image. They're made in His likeness. They're given dominion and responsibility. And they are invited to walk with God in the paradise of Eden until sin disrupts that fellowship. And they're kicked out and separated from God. God made us to be in relationship with Him. We see it in the garden. And now as we're trekking through this portion of the Bible, the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, uh, we see it there as well. We've been reading this story of, of God restoring a people. A people in bondage. A people to be His people, to enjoy a right relationship with him. And so in Exodus 19, God says to the rescued Israelites, he says to his people, you've seen what I did, right? You, you've seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you out. I brought you out of that place on eagle's wings and brought you where I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. God says, although the the whole earth, everything, the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You can hear the relational language, I hope, all over what God is saying here. I brought you to myself to be my treasured possession. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. So God's been saying all along, he's been saying, I'm saving you to know me. I'm saving you so that you may know who I am. I'm saving you to experience my glory and grace. I'm saving you because I promised I would. I'm saving you because I love you. And through you, I plan to make my grace and my glory known to the world. But then we come to the text that Austin preached from last week. Exodus chapter 32. Enter idolatry. Spiritual Adultery, cheating on God while he's making plans to move in with them. And so God says, go on without me. Go on. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Go up to that good land that I promised you. Go on. But I will not go with you. Because you're a stiff-necked people. And I might destroy you on the way. Stiff-necked. Calls the image of an animal, a farm animal that's rejecting the plow. That cannot be led or guided, that rebels. I think, when I think about that, I can't help but think of one of my own children. 
I've got a child that can be a bit stubborn. In fact, I've got three of them, but I'm thinking of one, and I'm not going to say the name of that one. I can remember some instances when this child was young, throwing a fit, strong-willed fit, having to hold this child, hold him still, resisting obedience. That's the image here, resisting submission to God, resisting obedience to God. And as Austin reminded us last week, even so, God is faithful. He is faithful. Our faithlessness doesn't diminish his faithfulness. And so God says, despite your sin, I'll make good on my promises. The land that I promised will be yours. Your needs will be met. But I'll not share my throne with any other. You cannot worship me and another. So go on without me. For if I go with you, Your sin will cause me to destroy you. Why? Because sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. We see this over and over and over again in the Bible. As one author says, the whole purpose of the Exodus was for God and His people to be together. To be together. But God will not dwell where He's not worshipped. He will not force a relationship where he's not wanted. But praise God, the Israelites begin to realize that they do, in fact, want the Lord. And so, verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words from God, they began to mourn. Began, they didn't put on any ornaments. No one put on any ornaments. These ornaments would have been uh, jewelry and other finery. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. You see, distressed and broken over the prospect of losing their God, the people repent. They mourn. They grieve. They show signs of remorse and a longing for the Lord. And God graciously restores sinners who turn to him. God is a God who graciously restores sinners who turn to him. The Israelites expressed their turning by stripping off their ornaments, which at the time was likely, many scholars point this out, likely tied to idolatry, tied to worshiping other pagan gods, perhaps gods of Egypt. God says, take them off. And they strip them off. Moses says, at Mount Horeb, they got rid of them. As if to say they got rid of them, that's where they got rid of them. From that point on, they stripped them off, a sign of contrition, of genuine repentance. They show remorse over sin and a desire for a right relationship by both their attitude and their actions. They're distressed, they mourn, and they obey. Repentance. And friends, this is what Jesus, our Savior, meant when he said, recorded by Mark, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. Turn away from sin and believe the good news. The king has arrived. What's the good news? That God desires a relationship with you and that he has provided the path to that right relationship. And to repent is to put him first. 
the place of supremacy, to put him first, to give up the right to call your own shots and to invite the king of all kings to rule and to reign in your heart. This is what the Lord wants of us. But it's hard. Because left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we have an incurable heart condition, a sin problem requiring emergency surgery. And so Jesus says things like, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, causes you to throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus is using strong language to warn against sin, sin that separates us from a right relationship with God. As long as the relationship remains broken by sin, we remain on the road without God to the place that God will not go with us. Not now, not forever. Friends, this is not God's desire for us. It's not His desire for us. It's, it wasn't His desire for Israel, nor is it His desire for us. And so He has sent His Spirit, His Holy Spirit. He sent His Spirit to convict sinful hearts and to draw us back to Him. And perhaps this morning, perhaps this morning, I hope this morning, perhaps this morning you're feeling a sense of remorse over sin. Sin that's an affront, an insult to God that separates you from God. Remorse over sin and a longing, a desire to be in right fellowship, right relationship with God. And if that is you, then know that that is God's Spirit working in you, working on you, pleading with you to turn from sin and towards Jesus. Turn away from sin. And towards Jesus, church, God's nature, God's nature is such that he always receives the sinner who turns to him. Let me say that again. God's nature is such that he always receives, he always welcomes the sinner who turns to him, who turns to him, implying repentance and faith in him. Have you turned to him? Perhaps you're thinking the Lord has abandoned you the Lord is fed up with you, that the Lord is done with you, that He wants nothing to do with you, that you're too far gone, too guilty, too broken. Friend, don't believe those lies from the evil one. God graciously restores sinners who turn to Him. So turn from sin and toward Jesus. Be reconciled to God and receive the gift of God Himself. Peter says it this way. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous... For the unrighteous. We know this truth in the gospel. We've even seen it as we've been trekking through Exodus and the requirements of the sacrifices, the place of the altar. For Christ suffered once for sins. Jesus suffered, the the righteous, the sinless one, the perfect one. He suffered for the unrighteous, for us, for we sinners. He suffered for us. Why? To bring you to God. That's what Peter says. Through faith in Christ, we get God. The words of John Piper, God is the gospel. This is why Paul would say, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I want Jesus. He says, I'm 
willing and desiring to give everything else up because nothing else compares to Jesus. I want Jesus. He also says, I desire to depart, to depart this life and be where? Be with Christ, which is better by far. Friends, the God of Israel, the God of Paul, and the God of the church is the giver of good gifts. And the greatest gift is the gift of himself. God's greatest gift to us is the gift of himself. Friends, that's what this book is about. This is the story of God giving the gift of himself. Giving the gift of himself to people who have run from him and rejected him. And here in Exodus 33, we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of the greatness of this gift when God and Moses meet together in the tent. Verse 10, we read, Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent... Signifying that God had come down to meet with Moses, the mediator in the tent. Whenever they saw this, they all stood and they worshipped. Each from afar at the entrance to their tent. The Bible says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend. Now this is not the tabernacle where God is meeting with Moses. The tabernacle has not yet Then, well, there you go. The tabernacle has not yet been built, and it will be in the center of the camp, portraying God's desire to live and reside, to dwell among his people. This tent is outside of the camp. It's not in the camp. It's outside of the camp. And while the Israelites continue to wait, they're waiting on the Lord. They're waiting to see what the Lord is going to do, to see how the Lord is going to respond to their remorse. While they're waiting, God continues to meet with their leader, Moses. You see, Moses, here's the picture, Moses is enjoying a level of intimacy with God, of friendship with God that no human had experienced since the day Adam and Eve were banned from Eden. But his friendship with God, his meeting with God, signifies that there's hope. There's hope for the people. There's hope for the world. They want what Moses has. And ever since, every believer, every person of faith, Since the time of Moses and the coming of Christ has likewise longed for, wanted what Moses has. Every believer to follow would want such friendship with God because God made us to be in relationship with him. A relationship and a longing that David captures in Psalm 42 when he writes, when he sings, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My God, I want you, God. I want you. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go? When can I go and meet with God? I want to meet with God. Friend, do you desire God? Do you desire Him? Do you want a relationship with Him or do you simply want the gifts that He gives? Do you want Him? Do you desire God? I'm not talking about theology as important as that is. I'm not talking about knowing more about God, but about knowing God. You were made to know God, and God desires to be known by you. Do you desire to meet with the living God? Friend, if so, I've got some really good news for you. Some news captured 
in the Word. Paul's word, his letter, as he's led by the Spirit to write to the church in Ephesus in the first century, he says, for through Jesus we have access. In context, he's saying we we both have access, Jews and Gentiles. In other words, all, we have access. We have access to the Father by one Spirit. Through Jesus, we are invited to meet with God, to meet with and to know the living God, to be counted as friends of God. Are you a friend of God? No longer going to the tent outside the camp, but becoming the place that God pitches His tent. Believer, you are the tent. You are the tent. Invited to commune with God through Jesus Christ. God made us to be in relationship with Him through Jesus. Through Jesus, He offers a right relationship with Him. Now and forever. The good gift of Himself. Like Moses, we Christians are invited to a personal relationship, a friendship with God, but we don't yet see His face. In fact, the New Testament tells us, Paul writes, he says, For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Through Jesus, through Christ, we have Immediate access, direct access to the Father, to God here. But it's only a taste. It's only a taste, a foretaste of what we'll experience there. One day the trumpet will sound, the Lord will descend, and we shall see Him. We shall see Him face to face, unhindered by the presence of our rebellion and sin, our sickness gone. Friend, are you going to see Him? We shall see Him face to face, forever friends with God. God made us to be in relationship with Him. Through the gospel of Christ, He has given us Himself. So, friend, receive the good gift. Receive Him. Repent, believe, and receive God. Today. Do it today. Lord God, help us to do so. May Your Spirit work in our hearts and our lives. For the glory of your name, Father, where we are sinning, convict us. We welcome your Spirit's conviction. Father, where we are running, Lord, remind us, show us your love that chases after us. Father, help us to see you as as you are. And Father, help us to understand ourselves and to see ourselves as you see us. Father, we thank you for your love. Your deep, deep love. May it penetrate our hearts. May your gospel, may your spirit, through your gospel, woo our hearts and lead us back to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.